Welcome to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. On this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the anxieties of life, how they can have a negative impact on our lives, and how Jesus advises us to deal with them. And on the inner out, I'm going to explain my feelings on the current state of politics and why I would like to change the conversation completely. Because to be honest, I'm hearing the right things being said the wrong way, and that needs to stop. All that and more as we give them the bold speak. Welcome, everyone, to the Bold Speak Podcast. So glad you can join me as we continue to go through this study of condition of the heart, taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, today we're going to get into a topic that I think really touches everyone at some point in their lives. And, and maybe for many people, it touches people multiple times, even during the day. And that's anxiety. Anxiety brings about in us these feelings of worry, uh, of doubt, uh, concern about the future. And many times they can plague our lives, all these stressors that seem to surround us regularly. Today, Jesus has some words for us about those things. He's going to discuss with us what the nature of anxiety is and how it is that we're to treat anxiety when it comes to our relationship with God. So we're going to see what the condition of the heart has to say with our ability to trust God when those anxieties and stressors come our way. So I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to have a conversation with you about that and really dig into what Jesus suggests for us on how to handle these regular stressors and anxieties that hit us. All right, so uh, we're going to be getting into uh, Lesson 6. This is actually the second part of Lesson 6. So if you have your study guide, I would encourage you to open that up. We're on page 25 under the subheading of Anxiety and Trust. Now, if you don't uh, have the study guide, you can go ahead and pick that up on our website. That's at www.theboldspeak.com. Uh, for $10, you can get that, and then that'll allow you to, to have something in front of you that you'll be able to take notes, uh, write down your own thoughts and ideas as it comes along, and that's going to help to kind of bring this whole Sermon on the Mount, all these lessons, all these things that Jesus is saying, into kind of one cohesive unit, because they all build off of each other. So I would encourage you to go to our website and pick that up. Uh, now we're going to be getting today into Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34 and I'm going to be reading that from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Um, now if you don't have an English Standard Version of the Bible and you just have a, a different translation maybe an NIV, maybe an NRSV that's perfectly fine. I'll give you all the references so you can follow along in the translation of your choice. And if you happen to be driving on the commute to work or maybe taking a break and listening on headphones or any number of those things and you don't have a Bible in front of you, don't worry. I'm going to go ahead and read all of these to you uh, so that you can follow along easily and really hear what Jesus has to say uh, about these issues involving anxiety. So let's go ahead and jump right into this. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Question 5. How does this section connect to the previous section in regard to the condition of the heart? In the previous section, Jesus was talking about the place of money and, and valuables, possessions in our life. And you'll recall that he makes the point that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he ends by saying, you cannot serve God and money. Well, the natural question is, why would anyone serve money? Why would anyone serve possessions? Why wouldn't anyone let possessions and the external things take control of them? The answer is anxiety. We get worried about these things. We tend to think about uh, the stuff around us as insulation or protection from the, from the fears and the anxieties that come about with an uncertain future. And so as a result, we tend to gravitate toward worrying about these things because we get used to thinking about these things as our protection. But Jesus reminds us that they're not. A condition of the heart that trusts God, that is in relationship with God, realizes that these anxieties are rooted in a misunderstanding of what the external and physical world actually offers us. The external and physical world is, is good. God created things, and it's good for us to utilize what he's given. But we have to remember that all of it is a gift from him. When we choose to think that the things around us are our own, as if we created them and they belong to us to serve our purposes, we tend to rely on those things as a means by which to feel confident. Right? The more stuff I get, the better off I am. Right? You may have heard the phrase, he who ends with the most stuff wins. But that's not the case. This stuff doesn't define us. It's not the thing that actually protects us. It's not the thing that lasts, which is the whole point Jesus was trying to make in the previous section. Instead, if we rely on God, if we trust in the things that are eternal, in a God that is eternal, then we realize that all of this stuff is a gift from him, as he deems fit to give us in order to provide for us as he sees fit. And so anxiety becomes really pointless. Why worry about these things when we trust that God provides? And Jesus gets to this and illustrates this by giving us some indication of how God provides for all things throughout creation and specifically dealing with what he calls lesser and greater things. And we're going to get to those in the next question. Question six, break down Jesus' point in each of the examples of lesser and greater things. All right, so let's take a look at this. If you have your study guide in front of you, you'll see it's broken down into the three sections and the three things that Jesus gives us. 
First is verses 25 to 26, and that's discussing food for the body. Let me remind you of what he says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Here, the lesser thing that Jesus is addressing is the birds. He's saying, take a look at the birds. The birds don't work for their wages. The birds don't organize themselves into parties to go out and, and reap fields and to do the work that is necessary for payment to provide for their food. Rather, the birds simply go and eat. God provides for them exactly as they need. And Jesus points out, look, if, if God does that for the birds, right, what do you think he's, he's going to do for you? Are you of not more value than the birds? Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. Everything that is created is a gift to us as God desires to be in relationship with humanity. And so if that's the case, then there has to be at some point that we look around us and we say, well, God takes care of, as Jesus points out, the birds. Why wouldn't he take care of me? God will provide. God provides because he loves and this is the connection that Jesus is trying to make and this is how it connects to the condition of the heart the nature of our relationship with God to trust him comes from an ongoing relationship where we continue in prayer to communicate to align ourselves with God we continue to understand what it means to be given these incredible gifts and all the things that he's talked about so far in the Sermon on the Mount are kind of coming together as he's discussing the nature of anxiety anxiety comes from a place of a breakdown somewhere in our relationship with God some place where we lack trust and the same goes for clothes for the body. Right, the next one there, clothes for the body, is really dealing with verses 28 to 30, even though he touches on it in verse 25. And it says this, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The same point is being made here in regard to clothing. Right? If you look at the lids of the field, they're beautiful, adorned in incredible petals and uh, just a multitude of flowers and growth that is just exquisite. If you've ever been uh, you know, to a botanical garden or even many zoos that have just beautiful flower gardens and things like that, and you see them, it's breathtaking beauty. And they're flowers. Are we not much greater than flowers? And so we need to trust that God will provide as he sees fit. The anxiety comes when we forget that. The anxiety comes when we begin to take ownership of these things and we look at all these possessions as ours and our means and our measure of success and protection. And so Jesus is pointing out, God will provide food for the body and clothes for the body. Now, this last one here is a little tricky and is going to take a little bit of explanation. This is dealing with unbelievers and believers, and he's getting to this in verses 32 and 33, where he says this, 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, dealing with our lesser things and greater things, here the Gentiles are put forward as the lesser things. Now, Gentiles here is referencing those who don't have a relationship with God, right? Those who are outside of the covenant at the moment. And God, God provides for them, right? Jesus is showing them, look, God continues to provide for the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles seek after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So wouldn't he provide for you if he provides for them? And so this is where he ends this whole section with a capstone statement that really gets to the heart of the issue that we're dealing with when we're talking about condition of the heart. Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The focus here is the same focus that we talked about when we were discussing prayer. Right? We talked about the Lord's Prayer as being a means of alignment. Right, It brings us into alignment with God. What Jesus is explaining here is when we get into alignment with God, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, when we pursue godly living, when we focus on who God is and the relationship that we have with him, when we dedicate ourselves to God in that way, then we get ourselves in a position where we begin once again to trust in his ability to provide rather than our own. And what happens? We begin to recognize all the ways that God continues to bless us. He blesses us in so many ways. He's a God of giving. He's a God of gifts. And each time he does that, whether or not we recognize it, depends on our condition of the heart. If we're seeking God, his kingdom, and his righteousness, then we recognize them for what they are. God's continued and ongoing blessings for unbelievers and believers, for the flowers, for the birds, and most certainly for us. Let's get to the next question. What trap does Jesus warn us about in verse 34? Verse 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The trap that Jesus warns us about here is looking a little too far into the future. We tend to look at the days that are coming and we say, well, what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next week or the next month? or the next year? And how am I going to handle all of these things if I don't have things that I believe that I need now? And all of a sudden, all of it starts to wind together and restrict, and those anxieties kind of fill us, and all of a sudden, we just live a life of constant worry. Maybe you're familiar with this. It's a very common trap to try to look forward and and predict what's going to happen. And, And many times, in many ways, we always predict the worst. We'd rather be surprised by the the glory of tomorrow than expect something great and get something horrible. And so we tend to be a little bit pessimistic, and that just stirs up more and more anxiety. Jesus is telling us, look, don't worry about tomorrow, just worry about today. Right? Today is gonna come with its own trouble. All right, so just focus on today. And this is a good reminder, I think, for us, especially in a culture like American culture that tends to be very busy and fast-paced and ongoing. Stop. Just focus on the now. Just be present 
Be in the moment now. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, or the next week, or the next month, or the next year. Just be where you're at now. Embrace the present and look carefully for all the things that God is doing. When you do that, then you bring yourself, as we said before, into alignment, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, question eight asks something that I want you to reflect on a bit. Do you feel as though people fall into this trap often? Why or why not? Now, for everybody, this is going to be a little bit different. And what I want you to think about and consider is, why is it that you feel that we get caught in these anxiety traps? What is it about us? What is it about our context? What is it maybe about our world or our culture that causes us to be in a position where we define ourselves and measure our successes or failures on the basis of so many external things? What maybe causes you to fall into that trap? I think there's a lot of factors at play here. First of all, I think we live in a society and a culture that has placed a lot of value on stuff. Right? We like certain things. We like certain conveniences. We uh, measure status many times by fame and popularity and so many things that are honestly completely out of our control. But when we do that, we build up incredible wells of anxiety because we strive so hard to get those things that we think we need to be successful or to find happiness. But God's reminding us to stay focused on him. And so I think that's one of the ways that we tend to fall into this trap is we we do uh, a lot of measurement on things that honestly really don't mean a whole lot. The second way I think that many times we do this is by playing the comparison game. We measure ourselves against other people. And so when we're constantly doing this comparison game, we're constantly allowing those comparisons to make assessments upon us. But I want you to think about this. Comparison really is allowing the externals to control us. Now, this is the point that Jesus was making at the end of the previous section when he talked about serving two masters, and you can't serve God and money. See, the comparison game allows everything else around us, and specifically other people, to be our master. When they hit a certain level of success, we desire that same level of success, and sometimes we're willing to do just about anything to get to that place that another person is. And so that comparison game, again, is another trap that creates a lot of anxiety. So what is Jesus suggesting in terms of how we handle this trap? Well, that's question nine. How does Jesus suggest that we handle this trap? I'm going to tell you something that has has been a big thing for me uh, for uh, a few years now, and it's a mantra that I sort of repeat. Uh, My fiancé and I, uh, we say this often um, because there's a lot of things that kind of go on over the course of relationship, and uh, especially since, uh, for those of you who know a little bit about our story, we were long distance for a long time, and and uh, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of things that that we went through as a couple to to really establish and keep ourselves rooted in that faith and, and trusting God to get us step by step to where we desired and we felt He called us to be. 
And so, again, this is a little phrase that I use often, and I would encourage you to use as well. And it's this. Just do the next right thing. There's a lot of stuff in front of you, yes. There's a lot of uncertainties in your future, yes. I get that, and I get the anxieties and the draw to kind of focus and put all our attention there. But I would encourage you to, to as a means by which to kind of help you stay present and stay here in the now, just say it to yourself. Just do the next right thing, right? Just do the next right thing. Right? Do what's in front of you. Do that thing in a way that is godly, in a way that pursues the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And once that's accomplished, you just go to the next right thing. And you do that according to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so on, and so on, and so on. And eventually, you'll find yourself pulling yourself back into alignment. The Spirit of God moves within you the more that you focus on that relationship and the condition of the heart. And as the Spirit brings you into alignment, then you'll find that you are recognizing and seeing all the ways that God has continued to bless you and is with you and is present at all moments and at all times to guide you out of that anxiety and into a closer and more dependent relationship with Him. It builds trust. Because I'm not looking so far in the future and worrying about what I'm capable of. I'm just simply telling myself, do the next right thing. And so that's, I think, Jesus' encouragement to us, I think. Uh, that's maybe one of the most crucial and critical parts of being able to overcome anxiety. Now, if you have your study guide, I want you to take a look. There's a section there called For Your Consideration. And what I want you to do is take a little bit of time to, to think about some of the things that we've discussed in this lesson. And, and in particular, looking at the comparison of those things that are treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And by focusing there, we're going to, again, work toward bringing ourselves into alignment. Focusing on those treasures in heaven rather than the treasures on earth. And I think it's really helpful to get some perspective there. So again, if you have that study guide, uh, make sure you jot down some answers there as a, a time for personal reflection. And I really hope you gain something from that. All right. When it comes to things that make people anxious, I think there are a few things that cause the kind of anxiety that politics do. And it seems anymore that that's all that anyone wants to talk about. And not just talk about it, we want to talk about it aggressively. We want to shout about it. We want to disagree about it. We want to argue about it. We want to force people to see things our way and all this constant. Uh, maybe you can call it discussion, but sounds a little more like argument. It's something I'm honestly getting a little tired of, and I really think we need to check some of this. And so that's what we're going to talk about today on The Inner Out. Sometimes I feel like we need a brief refresher on the purpose of government. The entire idea behind governmental structure is to allow a space for the population to work together and establish the best means to take care of the people in order for us to thrive as a nation. Now granted, that's not an easy thing to do when the latest census data places us somewhere around 327 million but I think we can at least do better than this. To be honest, love him or hate him, this president seems to have no problem 
telling it like it is. President Trump seems to have no issue with speaking in a way that leaves little room for anyone else's perspective. And while many appreciate his candor, I do feel like it has given way to a sense of free license when it comes to our own interactions with those that we might disagree with. Now, maybe it's just me, although on the basis of conversations I've had with many others, I really don't think it is. But maybe our capacity for arguments, shouting matches, and outright disrespect seems to be increasing. Many are no longer offering opinions or perspectives, but what they deem to be hard truth, which is just a fancy way of saying, well, I'm going to give you my thoughts with every ounce of condescension I can muster. The words have since ceased to roll off our tongues with a sense of humility and a genuine desire to listen, but have turned into arrows to sling at each other as if we're now at war with anyone who might see things a little differently. And ultimately, this is where I think we've failed the system. Just consider the way we approach politics now. We hold rallies as people stand around and hold up signs, signs that often criticize the opponents. We break down the aftermath of speeches and debates with commentaries and thoughts on how each side handled the issues. We gather together at parties with friends for the major elections, often cheering or griping as states are blanketed in blue or red. Does this sound strikingly similar to anything else we love so dearly in our society? Sports. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, government has stopped being a matter of the best way to govern a people and become the height of competition. It's not about what serves people best, but which side can crush the other and make them look foolish because, let's admit it, we all love a good lopsided victory for our team. But this isn't about teams or sides. This is about people. It's about the best way to honor God's command to love our neighbor. It's about respect for others and the ways we can help them succeed. And we will most certainly find disagreement. Even Paul and Barnabas eventually had to go their own way and agree to disagree. But they did agree on one thing that was critical to both men's success. That they had a God-given task to love others and proclaim the love of Jesus. Something that is incredibly difficult to do when we're too busy shouting at each other to prove our views are better than theirs. So let me offer an idea in this mess that I hope will cause us to pause and remember our true responsibilities as citizens. If you're more concerned with being right than doing right, you're doing wrong. I'll say that again. If you're more concerned with being right than doing right, you're doing wrong. Politics isn't a game. No one ever wins and you aren't trying out for the minor league club. Right? You're supposed to be seeking the best solutions to love your neighbor. And if you encounter someone who is after that same goal, but not in the same way, you still are supposed to love them. Something that is honestly increasingly more difficult to do if you piss them off. So I would encourage everyone to pause, take a deep breath, remember that the person on the other side of the aisle 
is still a person and have a calm and meaningful conversation about what we can do next to take care of those around us. Because for me, if you aren't willing to do that, I'm sorry, I'm out. I don't want or need that in my life. How does that saying go? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble? That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure you connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash The Bold Speak. Connect on our website at www.theboldspeak.com. And make sure you subscribe to this channel and all our other media channels to stay up to date on the latest news, information, and content as we release them. Again, thanks for joining me, everyone. And until next time, I'm Anthony Creedon, and that is The Bold Speak. Bold Speak.